Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank You that You have revealed Yourself in the person and work of Your Son. Thank You that You've revealed Yourself and even the person and work of Your Son through Your Word. And so now, God, I pray that You would instruct us to know what it is to love the saints and all the more to love You with a love that is incorruptible. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning. If I've not had a chance to meet you, my name is Nathan. It's my joy to be leading us through these last verses of Ephesians. So uh, if you're joining us for the first time, um, we at Restoration Church started this book back in September. So here we are, final verses, Memorial Day weekend, when everybody's traveling. It'll be great, so they'll pipe back in and listen to it later. Uh, so glad that you're here to hear these great truths in this letter. But before we get into that, just to kind of get us thinking, uh, one of the books that I have loved to read, um, I'm not a big book, uh, I'm not a big uh, reader on leadership books, but uh, this is my favorite leadership book, even though it's not about leadership, uh, which is strange, but uh, it's a book called For Cause and Comrades. And it's answering the question, why men fought in the American Civil War? Why men fought in the American Civil War? And uh, its conclusions are powerful because he says the reason why they fought was not because of the pay, since the pay was poor and unreliable. And the reason, the other reason why they weren't fighting was because, wasn't because of the fact that they were, uh, their lives were somehow less valuable because their lives were just as valuable as ours. And yet they kept on fighting, uh, even though the casualties kept piling up over the course of the war. And finally, he says it wasn't because they were professional soldiers, since most all of them were volunteer soldiers. And so why did they keep fighting in such a terrible war? And his conclusion is the title of that book. They fought and they kept fighting for cause and for comrades. In responding to his sister in July of 1864, one soldier in the 122nd New York said, quote, You ask me if I thought death does not alarm me. I will say I do not wish to die. I myself am as big a coward as any could be. But give me the bullet before the coward when all my friends and companions are going forward. Another soldier from the Minnesota regiment responded to his wife who pleaded with him to come home. He said in response, referencing the American Revolution, quote, my grandfather fought and risked his life to bequeath to his posterity the glorious institutions now threatened by this infernal rebellion. It is not for you and I or us and our dear little ones alone that I was and am willing to risk the fortunes of the battlefield but also for the sake of the country's millions who are coming after us. For cause and for comrades. This is why they fight and continued to fight. And while the cause and the comrades are certainly different, I would maintain that the same two distinctions are what invite and sustain our lives together as Christians. We fight against sin, Satan, and the world. We fight for our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ, and His people. For cause and comrades. That's the what, that's what we're going to see in these final sentences of Paul to the church in Ephesus. Two points this morning. Love the saints. Love the Savior. And we read here those two elements in Ephesians 6, 21 to 24. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace 
be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Beautiful passage. Let's consider that first. Love the saints. Love the saints. The Apostle John could not possibly be any more clear when in his letter he wrote in 1 John 4.21, This commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And that, of course, is drawing off of the words of Christ himself who gives that new commandment in John 13, 34 and 35 when he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And this is exactly what we've seen in the advance of the gospel in the book of Acts. When the gospel is spreading out, people are preaching the gospel, people respond to that gospel and churches are formed. And then what we find happening is after they, those churches are formed, they love each other sacrificially under the ministry of the word. We can read that in the first church that's formed in Acts 2, 42 to 47, when it says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And on it goes throughout the book of Acts. That's what we see happening. Gospel is preached. People respond to it. They come together under the preaching, singing, and ministry of the Word. And they love each other. They sacrificially care for one another. And not only do we see that in the book of Acts, we see people responding to the Gospel with a love for Christ and a love for His people and a love for the lost throughout the entirety of the New Testament. We see that same ethos running through. Gospel, loving people, loving each other with the Gospel. These people made themselves known And those people were known by others. They not only took an interest in one another, they took a sacrificial interest in one another. They sold properties. They showed up to church, not once a week, but every day, hearing the ministry of the Word, singing and praying, taking the Lord's Supper, that fellowship meal that bound them together. And so it is of no surprise to us when we read how Paul closes his letter to the church in Ephesus. We would expect there to be no cold and stale ending to this letter. No sort of, all right, regards, Paul. Right? We wouldn't expect that, right? We would be some level of intimacy and warmth to be running through. If the nature of the church of Christ is love, is family, is sacrificial community bought by the blood of Christ, we would expect the ending of this letter to communicate all of those things. And that's exactly what we find. We read that while in prison, Paul sends the beloved and faithful minister in the Lord, Tychicus, away to them. But why? Verse 22, so that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Paul is sitting in prison for the gospel and he sends his beloved friend, his beloved brother, his frequent traveling companion, Tychicus, away from him to the church in Ephesus. Because he wants something good for that church that he labored so hard to begin and maintain. He loves them so much that he wants something more for them than he does himself. Though I do want you to notice, he doesn't dismiss himself from the conversation. Part of sending Tychicus away was so that they would know how Paul was doing. Which, by the way, presumes the church had an interest 
in and love for Paul himself. But nevertheless, Paul was willing to inconvenience himself so that Tychicus could encourage the church. Because that's what it means to participate in the life of Christ together. Taking an interest in each other to encourage one another's heart. In fact, we can learn more about the environment that Paul is in when he sent Tychicus away. When we read another letter that he wrote in 2 Timothy, his last known letter. Sitting in that same prison cell, he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 9. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus, presumably carrying this very letter that we've been studying. When you come back, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments, presumably that's the Bible he's wanted. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. In my defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So here we find Paul is imprisoned. He's cold. He's alone. Save the presence of Luke. And he's had trusted brothers defy him and abandon the faith. And yet he still feels the need to write this magisterial letter to the Ephesian church to send his beloved brother Tychicus away because Paul understands that's the nature of the gospel that he believes in. It's not rooted in individualism, comfort, and convenience. It's not isolated and self-interested. It's sacrificial, other-oriented love for the saints. It's desirous to love the saints by encouraging those saints in the love of Christ. To be in Christ is to have this kind of a lifestyle. A devoted, sacrificial interest in loving others for the ends of being known by them and also making Christ known in them, encouraging their hearts in Christ. Because again, that's the nature of the gospel, as is evidenced by the Father sending the Son to encourage our hearts that we might know Him and enjoy Him forever. But we need to ask the question, don't we? Where does this kind of love come from? This kind of other-oriented, sacrificial interest in encouraging others, it's not common, right? I mean, even as we listen to these verses roll up, think about this lifestyle, all of you, myself included, am convicted. I don't know that I always live this way. I don't know that I always think this way. And it's really hard to do. Where does the resources to do that come from? Well, that's exactly where Paul helps us see what he helps us see then in verse 23, the very next verse. Here Paul is moving into his benediction. Like the ending of our services here, Paul offers a kind of prayer that answers our question of where this kind of love for the church comes from. He says there, peace be to the brothers and love with faith. Here it is. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace to the brothers. Peace to the brothers. And that peace we reminded when we look back and earlier in Ephesians, when we go back a few months in our study, we remember where that peace comes from, right? This peace that he's praying for. Remember back in Ephesians 2.14, it says, For he himself, Christ, is our peace, who has made us, both Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free, right? He's made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. 
So Christ commands sacrificial love that encourages one another because he purchased our peace with one another. And now that we are one, now we have peace. We still need to, though, to cultivate that peace, cultivate encouragement in that peace. And how do we get that kind of love? Love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. From Him. So love with faith means that if we say we have faith in Christ, we have the power of that love welling up from within us. From God the Father. From the Lord Jesus Christ. By the ministry of the Spirit. There's the Trinity at work, right? Right there. The pattern of loving the saints by encouraging the saints is seen in Christ. And the power to encourage them comes from Christ and the Father as well, since He is our peace. Which means, friend, that if you are going to do as Christ has lovingly commanded to love each other, to encourage one another's hearts, then you must, you must, you must go to the Father and to the Son if you are going to be sustained in that work. We are unable to do this on our own strength. We cannot do it on our own. We must go to the Father. We must regularly abide in the Son, plead for grace to love and encourage others, because apart from them, we cannot do this sustainably. We will turn in on ourselves. So the call is crystal clear, friends. If you say that you have faith in Christ, you are commanded to love and encourage others, and especially the church. Not just, says Galatians 6.10, but the rest of the New Testament. This is what God has been doing throughout eternity. You find the pattern and the power for that kind of love by abiding in the Father and the Son by the power of the Spirit. This is the life that God intends for us to have. Which means then there are two clear implications. One is to love others by encouraging their hearts in Christ. Which is what Paul's been doing this entire letter, right? He wrote this whole letter to do that. And the other implication is to find the strength for that kind of love from the Father and the Son. And so I ask you, friend, if you take the name of Christian, if you understand yourself to be in Christ, my question for you is, do you daily, do you momentarily, do you regularly abide in the love of the Father and the Son by trusting them for strength to go out and encourage others in the faith? Is that a significant part of your life? Are those two things regularly operational in your life? Or is your life marked by consumerism? See, the ark of God, the ark of the gospel, the Bible, is this other-oriented sacrificial love and encouragement to others, especially the church. Does that describe your life? 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, let us love, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And so, friend, I realize that you may say in words and in talk that you love Jesus. You may take the Lord's Supper and say that you are in Him. But do you abide in His love? And from that love, do you seek to encourage others in the satisfactory work of Christ? Do you seek to press that in on others? Or is your faith more in words and talk and not in deed, as is evidenced by your not regularly encouraging others in the faith? Which one describes you? so as to model this ministry of encouragement. Let me encourage you for the ways in which you have encouraged me and my family. When I think back over the course of these ten years of pastoring this church, I thank God that this is operational regularly, generally in the life of our church together. 
I can think of countless ways that you have sent me and my family postcards, emails, text messages. You regularly will talk to me after service right out here and share with me the ways that Christ is pressing in on you. And you will regularly ask me, how can I pray for you, Nathan? How are you doing, Nathan? How's your family, Nathan? How's your kids? What are ways in which we can be helping them know Jesus and follow Jesus? I'm so thankful for that. What an encouragement it is to know that that's common in our life together. This encourages me and it keeps me going. That it's not just me trying to up here do this on my own and try to press it on you. You're doing it back to me and hopefully me to you. Praise the Lord for that. And it's clear that as you encourage me, encourage my family, that is coming from God the Father. You want to know why? Because I sense the peace of God in it. So thankful for that. But likewise, I thank God for how, like Tychicus, many of you have dinners, you have coffees, you have lunches, you have FaceTime chats, you have text messages, you have emails. I know people to Skype into community group accountability services. This is wonderful. This is wonderful. For the ends of encouraging one another that you might know Christ and love Christ. I thank God for that. This is common in the life of this church. I can even think of real-life examples of this sacrificial love and and service for the encouragement of others in a number of ways. I can think about this in the planting of Iglesia Biblica Sublime Gracia, where there was not a known Spanish-speaking church in the middle of our city. And you sent six of our own over there, soon to be seven. And you sent and continue to send thousands upon thousands of dollars into that work so that other Spanish speakers can know and have their hearts encouraged in the gospel. Praise God for that. I can think about the ways that you have encouraged the hearts of the workers uh, that are working amongst the Haitian Creole peoples in Porta Plata. We have translated countless books. We have sent teams over there to help encourage the pastoral workers so that those pastors would be more equipped to serve the word and encourage the hearts of their people. I can think about the ways that you have sent laborers into the Middle East. We just had a team return just a few months ago where you have gone over to talk to those workers like Paul sent Tychicus. You went over there to encourage them and encourage them in the work. And I know, I know they have said, I've heard it from my from their lips to my ears, how much you have encouraged them to keep going in a very hard and desolate place because of the work that you have done. Praise God for that. I can also think about the ways that you have encouraged here in the life of this church. I can think about uh, the workers of our music ministry here every single week that comes up and they think about and they pray, they plan ways in which they can put songs together that are theologically rich, that are congregational in nature. Uh, many of you don't know that Daniel Kim and his team are constantly trying to match up songs to sermons and they're trying to practice on their own, pray so as to serve you and encourage your hearts in singing the Word. Praise God for that. I can think about our brother Joey that just regularly is trying to put together good materials for Titus 2 for us. He's trying to have good material, good content so that we could be equipped to love God. He, he's working, laboring, working in all kinds of ways, but in that ministry to encourage the hearts of people that show. I can think of others. Uh, the reality is, folks, we could go on and on. I can think about the Restoration Kids workers. How many of you sign up week after week, month after month to encourage the hearts of our kids? That they would know Jesus and love Jesus and live for Jesus. It could go on and on and on. But friends, the reality is you don't need degrees. You don't need specialized trainings. You don't need extraordinary gifts to do the most important work in the world. That is, encourage others in Christ. 
You just need two things. You need to abide in the love of the Father and the Son. And you need to have a willingness to give yourself to others in whatever way that might look like. That their hearts would be encouraged in Christ. The elders of Restoration Church have set up our life together in Christ in what I often call a frustratingly simple way. It's frustrating because unlike a lot of the churches we grew up in, there's not tons of programs to equip you. We do a few things so as to equip you to do the work, not to have us do all the work. And that's sometimes hard for you because you don't know where to run. But we have this service to equip you. This is the most important part of our life together. And we have community groups every week to equip you, to love you, and encourage you in the faith. We have Titus 2 forms that we set up for you. And we try to make ourselves available for personalized discipleship. And that's it. So that you would go do the work of ministry. And you can do it. If you know the gospel, you have enough to to encourage others in the gospel. That's all you need. All you need. Pray and go and make disciples. We realize that your lives are very busy. And we want to empower you to do the work. That's the core of our work together. Making disciples that delight in the supremacy of Christ. Equip you to encourage others in the love of Christ. And so many of you are doing this, and I praise God for that. Keep going. Draw strength from the love of God and keep finding new people to press into. If you're a visitor this morning and, 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 and longtime members, if you look around and there's somebody you don't know, do not run to the person that you already do know. Say hello to them and encourage them, right? But this is not you. This is not you. If this doesn't describe your life, this notion of other orientation, if you understand yourself to be in Christ and yet when you evaluate your life, you see little sacrificial love and encouragement to others, and if you're wondering where to begin, how is it I start doing this? Well, let me encourage you in two ways to get going in that work. First is to repent. Repent to God. Confess your sin to God. That you have lived largely and consumed God just for yourself or your own little circle. And know that God will forgive you if you plead the blood of Christ. Go to Him and just ask Him. Say, God, I've, I've, my life, my Christianity has been so me-centered. Forgive me. Receive the grace and love and forgiveness of Christ. And then secondly, then commit yourself to demonstrably and sustainably find ways to encourage others in the faith. Demonstrably meaning it's not just something that you say you're going to do in word or deed, but you do. And sustainably, and that it becomes part of your lifestyle. It's not just incidental here and there. Think about doing that. Pray that do it, do it. And if you're, if you're, if you're a member of this church, contact me, contact one of the other elders, the deacons, and we can find ways to get you plugged in. To get you to serve others and encouraging others in the faith. Or, or even better, find someone to read a book of the Bible with. Say to someone today, Go up to him and say, would you like to read the book of Colossians together? Would you like to read the book of Hebrews together? Would you like to figure out Leviticus together? Right? Just do it. Just ask him. Say, I want to encourage you and I want to be encouraged by you. Don't just seek to be discipled. Seek to encourage others in it. Ask a friend today, how would you like to read one of those books? Maybe you'd like to read the book of Mark in four meetings. Four one and a half years. Four chapters at a time. I've got a little device that I can give to you and kind of walk you through that. Or maybe you want to read that book that you bought and has been sitting on your counter for years. And you say, maybe I should read that with somebody else and encourage them in it. And I could be encouraged by it. And if you're looking for some recommendations, might I give you two? Both of these books are by by Michael Reeves. Delighting in the Trinity, Rejoicing in Christ. Two wonderful books that will stoke your love for God and each other. Delighting in the Trinity and Rejoicing in Christ. 
Or if you're looking for a book that helps explain this work of discipleship, you don't really know what to do, you've never really done it before, I've brought two copies of this little book right here. It's called Discipling. It'll describe the nuts and bolts of how to do this work. I've got two copies. There's one here. There's another one right back here. All these books will be on the black cube right there behind these seats. Another one is you're wondering, I'm a member of a church, but I don't really know how to do this as a member of a church. I brought four copies of this. What is a Healthy Church Member by Thabiti Anyabuile? Right back there. Pick it up and read it with somebody. I intentionally brought numerous ones so that you could read it with other people. Or thirdly, if you're not a Christian and you don't even understand the ministry of Jesus alone, I brought two copies of Who is Jesus by Greg Gilbert. You can go back there and read those. And I would encourage you to come find me or someone else you know, another Christian, and ask them, will you read this with me so I can understand what it means to follow Christ? So three books that we've brought here. Please take them all. Give me a moment after service. I'll lay those other three back. The rest of them are back there. But if you understand yourself to be in Christ and you have sustainably not been Tychicus to others and encouraged their hearts in Christ, but instead you have sustainably only received Jesus, received the ministry of Tychicus, do not leave here without recommitting yourself to a ministry that encourages others in the faith. Bruce Milne says that a fellowship which costs nothing is invariably worth nothing. If your life with Christ is costing you very little in the way of time, commitment, and investment, then the fellowship you say you have with Christ in the church is of little value. And I realize that when I say that, it's not very encouraging. But friend, Proverbs teaches us faithful are the wounds of a friend. It's my intention to be your friend. To encourage you to know the joy of helping other people follow Jesus. But in light of that, let's now learn, let's now turn and consider more carefully that wonderful love that sustains this work. We've considered the love for the saints, but now let's consider the love of the Savior. Read over that last verse one more time. It's an amazing promise and request all rolled up into one. Verse 24. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Now Paul has just uh, finished instructing the church in Ephesus. Remember, that was part of the armor we looked at. It was prayer. And one of those pieces was prayer for the saints. And then here we see him doing it. That's good discipleship. He's not only instructing it, but he's doing it himself. Showing them how to do it. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, we know that all that are in Christ have been graced with love, forgiveness, and peace. However, We also know that we could use more grace to live out who we actually are in Christ. And that's what Paul is praying for here as he closes out the letter. For even more grace, more undeserved favor from God to attend all of God's people around the world. Don't you love that corporate nature? Around the world to live out who we are in Christ. Such a wonderful request. You can always pray. But I want you to look at the end of that request. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Now this is a beautiful statement that should incite beauty and warmth and encouragement in our hearts. But we do need to understand it a little bit more carefully because this verse has tripped up a lot of exegetes. And here's why. That notion of love with love incorruptible, it's not exactly clear if that's modifying our love for Jesus or if it's modifying Jesus. Which one is it? Is it saying grace be with all of those of us that love God with an incorruptible love? Or is it saying grace be with those of us that love Christ as a result of his incorruptibly loving us and then causing them 
to incorruptibly love Him. One puts the incorruptible love on us, the other on the Lord. Some of you should be saying right now, well, Nathan, can it be both? Yes. 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 But I do think there's an emphasis Paul has here. If you'll notice, Paul is ending the letter the same way that he began it. And so we can get some hints as to how he's using that love from the very beginning of this letter. We read in Ephesians 1.4 that it was in love that the Father predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. And therefore, I am inclined in light of that to believe that the incorruptible love is more focused on modifying Christ than it is us. Although it includes us. Especially since we know Ephesians 2, 1 to 9, it is only by the grace of God that we come to love Him in the first place. So, here, guys, is what that means. This is an amazing truth. Paul is praying that grace would attend all the saints in all the world who love Jesus with the kind of love that is incorruptible. It is an incorruptible love. That word there could be, could be read to say imperishable, uncorruptible. Or it, it doesn't stop, it doesn't spoil, it doesn't fade. See, this goes back to what Paul was just talking about and putting on that armor. Satan is powerful. Christ is far more powerful. Therefore, that power that is far above all rulers and authorities is the power that is at work in us to love Jesus, to hold on to Jesus. You cannot stop this love. You can war against it, but you cannot defeat it. You can distract it, but you cannot overcome it. You can beat it, but you cannot take it away because the love that is true of all believers that are truly loving Jesus, that love is incorruptible because God is incorruptible and He placed it in our hearts. It can't be taken away. Philippians 1.6 And I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus because it's incorruptible love. We can think about Romans 8. Where Paul writes, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, he says, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. And of course, we are reminded back in the beginning of our study in Ephesians 1, 13, 14, in Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our, our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And here's the end. To the praise of His glory. So brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, members of Restoration Church, the love that we have for Christ was a gracious love. Is a gracious love. It came to us out of the free and sovereign grace of God. God is love and He implanted His love into our hearts and that love is sealed. It is incorruptible. It will not only stay with us to the end of our lives, but it will continue on into eternity. Which is exactly why Paul writes what he does in 1 Corinthians 13. Alright, let me let you hear this when you're not in a wedding. And think about this. Love never ends. As for prophecies, he says, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. 
For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest is all, the greatest of all these is love. Why? Because it never ends. At the return of Christ, when heaven comes to earth, Christ eradicates all wickedness from the earth. He makes all things new. Faith will be turned into sight. Hope will turn into consummation, but love will go on forever. Which is why Jonathan Edwards calls heaven a world of love. He says, this is so beautiful. God is the fountain of love as the sun is the fountain of light. And therefore the glorious presence of God in heaven fills heaven with love. As the sun placed in the midst of the visible heavens in a clear day fills the world with light. The apostle tells us that God is love and therefore seeing he is an infinite being, it follows that he is an infinite fountain of love. Seeing He is an all-sufficient being, it follows that He is full and overflowing and the inexhaustible fountain of love. And in that He is an unchangeable and eternal being, He is an eternal fountain of love. There, this God is manifested and shines forth in full glory in beams of love. And there, this glorious fountain forever flows forth in streams, yea, in rivers of love and delight. And these rivers swell, as it were, to an ocean of love in which souls of the ransom may bathe with the sweetest enjoyment and their hearts, as it were, be deluged with love forever. Love never ends. Never fails because the love that God has implanted sealed in our hearts is incorruptible. And nowhere is the incorruptible, never-ending, always and forever love of God more evident, more clearly seen than in the cross of Christ. As Paul sent Tychicus to encourage the saints, so the Father sent the Son to encourage our hearts that they might be new again. Forgiven, clean, filled with the love of God. To awaken us from a death of our sin unto life eternal. As Paul was imprisoned for the Gospel, Christ was imprisoned on the cross and in the tomb of death. Yet He did not stay in that prison. On the third day, He rose again. We too have our hearts encouraged in new life. We too, if we have trusted in Christ in that wonderful atoning sacrifice and in that resurrection, we too have been released from prison to know life and the incorruptible love of God for an eternity. For all who trust Jesus and live for Jesus, we will never have a day in the new earth where the knowledge or experience of God's love will be exhausted. Just consider that this afternoon for ten minutes. And it will blow your mind. There will be an eternal increase of the love of God as it flows to us from the Lamb and we will return it back to Him and that will go on forever and ever and ever because that's what love does. It's always giving and receiving forever and ever and ever and it grows and it grows and it grows forever. Love never ends. It's incorruptible. For from an eternity, think about this, from an eternity, what has God been doing? Loving Himself. I know you're like, oh, no, 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 Nathan, don't say that. No, he's the highest and best of all things. He better be loving himself because he's loving anything else. He would be loving something less than him. The Father has been loving the Son. The Son has been loving the Father. The Spirit has been loving the Son for eternity. And so why did God create the world? Because he was so full of love for himself. He wanted others to come into it. 
So that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, he said, no, I still want him in this. So he sent his son. He wanted that love so much because he is love. That's the joyful life with Christ. We enter into this eternal love of God. And so when Paul prays for grace to be given to all those that love the Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible, he is praying that we would be given grace to taste and experience more and more of that love now. So that we would go on to mimic his love and return that love to him and offer it to others. And so, as Michael Reeves tells us, he says, in our love and enjoyment of the Son, we are like the Father. In our love and enjoyment of the Father, we are like the Son. That, he says, is the happy life that the Spirit has called us to. And it is for this reason that Reeves goes on to say, I love this quote, if, if, God, is a, if God is single and solitary, be a hermit. If God is cruel and haughty, be cruel and haughty. If God is a beer-sloshing war god beloved by the Vikings, be like that. And then he says, don't be like that. But with this God, no wonder that His greatest two commands are to love God and to love neighbor as self. For that is being like God. Since that's what God has been doing from eternity. And so, beloved, Pray for grace to be given to not only yourself, but for all the saints in all of the world. Pray for grace to be given to those that do not yet know Christ. Pray that all Christians everywhere would abide in the love of the Father and the Son, not being distracted by things of the world, enjoying that love every day, anticipating the fullness of its realization and its eternal increase in heaven. And from that, go and encourage the hearts of others in that love that they may know and enjoy the gracious and eternal love of God themselves. Being ingrained into this community of love incorruptible. Previewing it now. What a privilege it is to have this love, to know this love. What a joy it is to give it away. So for the cause of Christ, that is why we live. He is our cause. He is our hope. He is our joy. He is our eternal, everlasting reward. It's His love that it dwells in us and we will return it back to Him forever and ever. We seek His eternal glory on all the earth. He is our cause. And our comrades are the church. His saints that He died to gain. He spilled His blood to gain. You, we, are comrades in arms helping each other on towards heaven. And soon enough we will get there. And when we sit on those shores of the Jordan River, we will all look at each other and be glad that we abided in the love of God and we gave it away. May that day come soon. But until then, may we find ourselves bathing in the incorruptible love of Christ and then giving that love away to others. May it be. And let's ask it now. God, You are love. You are peace. It is only by love through faith in Christ that we know any of these things. All of Your grace. Thank You that You, a God of incorruptible love, have invited us into it. We did nothing to deserve it. And yet You keep us in it. May we 
abide in you every day. And Lord, from that love, may we courageously, demonstrably and sustainably seek to love the saints, love the church, no matter what may come to us, knowing that this is what You made us for. Help us, God, that we not grow weary, that we be willing to be like Paul, sits in prisons, willing to send people away that others would be encouraged, knowing that He was like Christ, willing to leave the glories of heaven to come and bring us in. We rejoice in this. May we then give it to others. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.